back. Hello. It's December. It's actually like the middle of December. It's the, the 15th as we record. Hopefully this will be out by tomorrow the 17th. You know what the December 17th is? It's the annual anniversary of FromeDome.com. Actually, it used to be called FromeDome's Page from Hell. That was my first website. Is, oh, this isn't Hambottle. No. Handbottle came much later. But From Dome's Patreon Health celebrates its its origin date of birth as December 17th, 1995. Do you still pay for com? Yeah. I'm going to look right now. Yeah, there's not much on there. It's just mainly a, a short wow. bio. All oh, my old archives cute. from splatf.com are there. It's the little dome. Yeah, I drew that. Uh, does it say Brooklyn or Los Angeles when you load it? Brooklyn based. Yeah, it's it depends on whether you visit the HTTPS or the HTTP version. I have to get a better web host. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, twenty six years of FromeDome.com um, uh, today. If it, cool. If, if we get this out by the seventeenth. Congratulations. Which would be Friday, not Thursday. I think so you'll be able to get. Maybe it out. it's tomorrow or yesterday, depending on. Yeah. Anyway, Needle and the Mouse are here. We are here. We're back. We are back. Fritz was just napping. Now he's napping. I, think, I don't know. I think it's. I think he's not. He's not here with anymore. us. He's not this with time. us. We're doing an actual taping with no baby. Yeah. Uh, I'm Dan Fromer, along with Lauren Sherman, as always. Hi. What's happening? You know, it's cold here. This is a little cold. Yesterday here in LA, we had our first rain in a long time. It was like a, a really real rain. nice rain. Clean the house. Clean the car. Um. Today, it was under 40 degrees. When we woke up, I was very excited. It was 37 or something like that. I felt nostalgia for a, a prior version of myself. Yeah. Well, it's it's like that 37 degrees where it's not going to snow and be gross outside, which is actually pretty nice. Right. You could already see the sun coming up to warm us a yeah. good 20 degrees in the next several hours. Exactly. It was yeah. nice. It's been a nice day. I like wearing sweaters. I like wearing one coat. Hmm. I yeah. like that whole thing. So I'm enjoying it's much colder this year than it was last year. Yeah. So far. So far. Yeah, I'm about to take Ralford to the vet to get his rabies shot and cool. looking forward to walking with uh, a fleece. Yeah. So fun. So fun. And it's also a little easier to get into the holiday spirit when it's colder. Totally. Yeah. I think. Right. Making soups. Yeah. Drinking warm beverages at nighttime. Yeah. Doing needle Imagining needle work. snow. It's not going to happen. It is soupy, wintry. I mean, my ideal weather is weather where you can wear a sweater and a blazer. And that's totally. all you really need. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the reasons I would not mind living in Europe. Because most of Europe, that's how it is for, I don't know. A big chunk a of big the winter. A big chunk of the year. Yeah. During the daytime or at night, you mean? I'd say both. I mean, even in France, it's not that cold there. It's a different kind of cold than in New York. Yeah. It's because it's the Mediterranean climate. I'm just making this up. But when you go there. You learned there, that from me. I took, ge- I took one geography we, class and it ruined me. We've gone there in February. <laughs> if it's 40 degrees in the morning or even 30 degrees in the morning, it doesn't feel as cold as it does in New York. Yeah. We have the Mediterranean climate here as well. Yes, exactly. So, like, I went for a run, and it was only – it was in the 40s still, and I wore my Patagonia sweater, and it was too hot. I had to take it off. 
Yeah. Oh, running? Yeah. Yeah, it was too hot because I was like, uh, if it's 45, 20 degrees more, I would wear this, but I really wouldn't wear it in 65 degree weather and it was fine by the time. Because it's windproof. Yeah. Yeah, I wore that in my Uniqlo Heat Tech turtleneck. I was happy to have that. So I don't really have any running gear for cold weather anymore. No, I ha- well, I have mine somewhere, but not, who knows even where. Not accessible. I had like the Sub-Zero fleece running pants too yeah same which are pretty awesome i don't know i don't know where those are for me um well this was a big week for me i launched the annual consumer trends report congratulations thank you i appreciate your tweet i loved it it was a nice tweet i think it was the most memorable of all three well you've done this was the third one and i am uh i I am privileged to uh but also contractually obligated obligated to mention that it's a collaboration with coefficient capital in new york city um but uh who who i actually really love working with so i'm glad that we get to keep doing this project together third report and the first one which we did a year ago now was basically holy shit covid changed everything changed the way people shop changed the way that people what people were buying and eating and drinking and and all that stuff and as i describe it now it's just like crazy charts it's charts that you would never expect to see in your life where the you know the this stable thing that's not been moving for years and years and years all of a sudden shoots up or down whether it's you know restaurant uh seatings going to zero or yeah uh grocery e-commerce doubling overnight those sorts of things um that was the first year we were very i'm not gonna say lucky but it was it was it is what we had, and we had crazy charts. And crazy charts are are great if you're in the crazy chart business. We don't have that so much anymore. The, the second report we did was this summer, and the whole idea was like, okay, the vaccine's here. We're gonna everything's reopening. Life's gonna go back. Life is gonna swing. The pendulum's gonna go the other way, and we're gonna be in the roaring twenties where everyone's just partying and yeah. you know what, vaxxed, waxed, and ready to. I don't even know, but yeah. Um, as we all know, that didn't happen. The alpha, uh, the Delta variant had other ideas and there was another wave and some activities were basically back to normal retail. Uh, the, the Google has this great data. So this report that I do not to get all ADD on you, this report that I do is basically a, an accumulation of public data through, I'm going to say data and I'm going to say data, but right now I'm saying data, public data through either company reports or government agencies. And then my collaborators, Coefficient Capital and I, we run a survey with this company called Toluna of 3000 consumers. And we've done three of these now. So we also ask them our own questions, what we're curious about. What we try to do is marry public data on consumption, on spending, on growth in you know different micro and macro economies with this survey data we have uh, see there we go on sentiment and how people are thinking so that's what this report is and i think it's really interesting and the, and the second one was about the reopening which was kind of we ended up kind of almost wimping out and calling it the, the partial reopening special and and then when we sat down a few months ago to plan out this report we were like well you know what no one wants to look at two-year-old COVID charts because pretty much everything there has flattened out. A lot of things are back to where they used to be or almost. 
really depends. Um, what do we care about right now? And I think the thing that we came to was, well, where are people thinking differently about things because of COVID? And where are people thinking differently about things just because of who they are and when they were born and where they grew up and where they were living? And what, you know, as we, as we stop thinking about dealing with this short-term crisis and we start thinking longer term, what are some of those characteristics and, and traits that are unique and interesting and worth building around? Yeah, I thought the most interesting things were the things that like, oh, this is actually sticking because you saw one of the charts shows kind of like retail coming back. There are certain things that the minute people were vaccinated just flipped and went yeah. back to normal because everybody's sick of it. Now we're dealing with this third um, – this well, I'm sure it's not the third variant, but this third major variant. And Omicron. It, it just sucks. And everybody's like, I don't care. I'm triple vaxxed. I'm not going to get that sip from this. I'm still hanging out. So there are certain things that sort of did go back to normal, I would say. But what was really interesting to me as someone who I went through the deck two nights ago, and the two major things that were fascinating to me is one, the grocery store stuff. So yeah, it, I I I've been off I was off for 6 months this year but generally have talked to a lot of people who work in apparel retail and they've sort of said for this whole time that e-commerce was going to be a bigger and bigger part of the business and it was going to be up regardless of you know covid but it was going to keep growing et cetera, et cetera, but obviously not at the same pace mm-hmm. but it, Apparel e-commerce was already a huge thing, and it's no surprise. Like, the information about what's happening in apparel e-commerce right now is not surprising when you look at the data. The thing that I thought was interesting about the grocery stuff is that people are really using online groceries still in a real way, whereas I assumed that most people would regress back to going into the store. I don't know why. But it's just surprised me. And I think... Well, we have. We, we, I think that's the big thing is that we spend a lot of time in the grocery store once again. Yeah. But We at went the from same basically time, all store to zero store. For, and now we're back at like probably 80% store. For zero, to zero store for like a year because yeah. you were really good at like figuring <laughs> out the whole food Amazon system. Snagging Amazon delivery slot. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I think other people... When we were in New York for the first, what, five months of lockdowns or four months, we didn't go to a grocery store once. And most of our friends were at least like going to the corner bodega or whatever. We didn't do that at all. Zero we, times, yeah. We were completely online. Um, and doing a lot of like DTC brand shopping yeah. and ordering from, you know, internet grocery yeah, stores. Whereas everyone else stuff. was like, I have to try this and, and get you know, I have to go sacrifice and go in once. We didn't do that at all because you were like spending hours a day. Um, I, I needed something. I, yeah. It, it brought me, it brought me warmth to be able to, order Hey, I was, I was happy. It made me feel yeah. good too. Um, but that, the point being that the other day you ordered from Sprouts, yeah, a local grocery store here because we just didn't have the time. And I do think that's, what has changed is like, even though a lot of people do get a ton of pleasure out of grocery shopping, I think we're not the only ones. It's a, it's actually 
a big hobby and pastime in this country in particular, but everywhere. I mean, think about France, those grocery stores. People, they love it. People love going to the grocery store. Anyway. It's great. I love it. That people, we probably go but. five times a week still to different places. But when it comes down to it, if you're busy all day and you can do that, I think that there's just more. We probably are still doing that three or four times a month, right? Mm, um, ordering online? Yeah. Yeah. It's convenient. I mean, this is what it, it, it used to be a luxury convenience, especially there were points when it was kind of obnoxiously expensive to order groceries online. Then it became essential infrastructure, basically in the span of a weekend, and now it's and now it's a little bit of both. Like it's we, we did a poll in our summer survey, which was basically like, what are why are you still shopping online for groceries? And one thing we found is that most of the people who've switched to shopping for groceries online actually really prefer it. Like they yeah, so they're going to keep doing it. And we asked them why and. No surprise, convenience. Like it saves people time. It's not. It's not cheaper. It's sometimes the same price, but it really does save you a lot of time. Well, so. here's a question: Have you found that the discovery element that they're getting better at discovery? Because I think this is something that I talk about a lot with apparel retailers and multi-brand retail and all that stuff. Um. The problem with online is I love Matches Fashion. You know that. It's like the the one that I shop at because they have a lot of really good brands that I like. Mm-hmm. And they do send out emails being like, you might like this brand. And occasionally I do discover. But I am not on their content looking at their Q&As with artists and designers or whatever. They're very nicely done. I'm not judging it. I think they do a decent job. Essence has an incredible content thing but like i'm not really finding new brands on there mostly finding them on instagram or through people that i know so i'm just curious do you think that like the search and the discovery and the just general shopping experience online for at least some of these retailers like a whole foods has gotten better because there were times especially in the beginning of our online grocery journey where we would we would order from like the green grape and it felt like it felt like we were ordering from a website from 1996. Yeah. Like how do you find the the gluten-free you know all-purpose flour? It was like impossible even though we knew that they had it in the store or what have you. It's definitely so you know you ask like why who cares about online grocery? Why do we care? There's two main reasons I care. Yeah. As the writer of the new consumer. One is that, and we see this happen all the time in the shift to digital. When you shift money and time from analog to digital, it rarely goes to the same place that it went before. Yeah. When you start streaming your TV, you're not generally streaming it, at least we're not streaming it, from the same TV networks that we were streaming it from before. You're streaming it from Netflix from Amazon, from Hulu. Some of them, HBO, has successfully established themselves in digital. When you shift your news consumption to the internet, you're not only going to the websites of the local radio stations and newspapers that you used to look at. You're going to internet-native publications like Business of Fashion, like Business Insider, like The New Consumer. 
So in grocery, as people do their grocery shopping increasingly online, they're not going to be doing it at the website of their local grocery store. We're not going to gelsons.com and doing our grocery shopping for the most part. Yeah. Um, the share shifts to a, to often digital native brands or, or companies. It's different in different fields. Um, well, like in apparel, net, so a marketplace net a or a marketplace like Farfetch or, or, or in grocery, a marketplace <laughs> like Amazon um, or, yeah, or, or something like that. So or what's the one that we used to shop at more that we don't do anymore that has all of them? There's Mercado as well. Instacart. Of them. Instacart, yeah. Right. Instacart has been a huge winner. So so that's part of why we care. And and like that's phase one. Phase two is you get a whole bunch of internet native grocers like Good Eggs or even Thrive entirely Market. different Thrive Market or entirely different concepts like like a meal kit provider is all of a sudden a grocery store. And one of my favorite charts in the whole deck is a slide that I've used now that I've kept kept updating basically called what's a grocery store. And it's some of everything like Uber wants to be a grocery store. DoorDash wants to be a grocery store. Um, so that's, that's one reason I care is because as money moves online, it tends to make different winners and losers. The other reason I care is thinking about brands and discovery to your point. It's an entirely different user interface to shop for groceries online. When you're in a store, you're surrounded by products. You're being influenced by packaging design you're being influenced by environmental design. You're being influenced by the, the marketing budget of the brand that either bought the end cap shelf or not, or even paid the slotting fee to get their brand in the store in the first place. When you when you shop for groceries online, you're you're searching by words, by keywords, you're browsing by random stuff sometimes clicking on you know some of these online stores have like tried to replicate the concept of an aisle um that doesn't really make any sense like you're not thinking like in that way at all really i, I don't think that way um some of the a lot of it is more search based you can't search a grocery store standing still you can't type in beverage and then get every beverage in front of you it just doesn't really work that way you can walk to the beverage aisle but that's not the only place where there's beverages but if, for example, if you type in, I don't know what the screenshot I used, I think it was like, like I don't know, beverages or something, you're also being shown ads and, and recommendations that are increasingly going to be personalized to you. And so that to me is like, the, to me, the biggest interesting opportunity of online grocery is a personalized user interface where you see a store that is different than everybody else's store. But for brands, that's the biggest challenge because before they could count on everyone who walked down the cereal aisle to see their product if they were paying attention. You cannot count on that at all anymore. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I was listening to uh, – welcome to my life. I was listening to the Kroger earnings call for fun the other day on my walk. Wow. And the and – the, I don't know, the CEO, someone said something like half of the products that people place in their carts are through their algorithmic recommendation system. Which means that that has like incredible power. And I've also talked about like, well, is anyone ethically monitoring these systems to make sure that they're not recommending you the crappiest stuff on the planet? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, well, um, there's also a long winded way of not answering your question properly. But the discovery stuff is is really tricky and and matters a lot. And but but on the flip side, the e-commerce also dramatically lowers the the, lowers the bar and, and evens the playing field. And one of the charts from this report showed that 
extra small and small brands represent way more people's purchases on e-commerce than it does in the store, which I thought was really cool. Well, there's also the replenishment thing, which I think is, and that's for, for, I love thinking about fashion in, in kind of parallel industries and how they are. So it's, this is less of a thing in, in the fashion industry, but it, it would be, it's a big thing in beauty. And I mean, Amazon has just made such a big business out of this, you know, just being like, you ordered this five months ago. Do you want to order it again? Totally. What have you, but. And has created I've, subscriptions that we are but, getting regular over and over again. Yeah. Well, what I've noticed is like if I'm ordering from, and you do most of the grocery shopping, but if I'm ordering from Whole Foods, they'll be like, do you want to order this again or what have you? And there's just like a list of your, our top 10 things that we order every time, like avocado, yeah. bananas, certain milk, three trees, yeah, vanilla, almond milk, the best almond milk on the market. It's like you make it, made it yourself. It's the only so one good. I'll drink. Thank the you. The only one I'll drink too. Um, but I find it... I just found it really interesting. The other thing that I've, well, two other things I found very interesting. By the way, not to interrupt again, but half uh-huh. of our survey audience starts their grocery online grocery journey with the list of their previous yeah. purchases. So, well, I, yeah, one more thing on this, and then we really should move on to a couple other slides. But one thing that I think is a challenge for smaller brands, and we do see this in apparel in particular. But you're never going to get, and it depends on what you want, but you're never going to get the scale that you get if you are distributed in physical retail. Hmm. And that is something that like we've talked about on here before, like physical retail matters, having a foot re, big retail footprint matters. But like think about Omsom. They are hugely pop- popular. I have no no information about, about their current business situation my assumption is that they've probably sold out of a lot of product over the last year or had moments where they've been out of stuff because they have just done so well in terms of like mind share on the internet with like coastal elites in particular like this is the brand that we've probably talked about five times on here they make stirrings of different it's like mostly asian right all Right all now, Asian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all gluten-free and Most it's made with chefs who cook the different cuisines and it's, they're delicious. Like they have, yeah, they're really awesome. Um, and so, and they have just gotten so much press and so much like everyone we know is into it. Are they at Whole Foods yet? Are they in any retail? No, yet? I saw something, somewhere but it was like a small shop it wasn't like a big thing yeah so here's the thing like they don't need to do whole foods they can still make their business glossier is a good example of a beauty brand that decided not to do sephora or target or whatever they would have done and they've still been able to scale to an extent yeah but if glossier was in sephora they'd be way bigger than they are right now and the same thing with these brands like that's fine if you don't want to be huge, huge, huge. If you haven't taken a ton of outside investment and you don't need to, Glossy is going to have, has taken a ton of outside investment. Is going to have to figure out another way to grow. If they don't want to do that, they're going to have to acquire brands or something. There's going to be, they need a growth story. If you're like a food company and you want to have, I don't even know if it could be 10, a $10 million business. That might be too big. I, Direct. I don't 
Yeah, direct. Yeah, you could do 10. 50 would be challenging. Yeah, so if you want to do that and live your nice life and, you know, be a profitable business, fine. But a lot of these brands, I just, the thing that is interesting now to me is there is the, there, first of all, there's this hollowing out of the middle in everything we do because they're the hollowing out of the middle class. But there's either these like brands that have tons of market share or there are tiny, tiny brands that take up the rest. So there's like in fashion, there's like all your LVMH and caring brands. So you're like Dior and Louis Vuitton and Gucci and Bottega and Balenciaga and then Hermes on and Chanel on the outside. And then there are your like little, you know, $20 million and under brands that a lot of those are very cool, like Marine Sarah or whatever. And, but they are never going to be that big. And there used to be a lot of like 200 to $400 million brands. I'm talking about the high end of fashion. Yeah. This isn't completely, there are brands in that, range but it's much harder to survive in that range and so it's just it's just interesting to see that happening in in food and grocery as well totally well i think some of it is also save that as a mystery for your acquirer like well we're gonna wait to do major wholesale until we've been acquired because a maybe our acquirer will have better distribution relationships than we do and b it allows us to like paint a picture of a future that may be much, much bigger, but we won't know until it happens. And also, you won't have to deal with it. Yeah. Ch- <laughs> let totally, someone totally. else deal with it. Yeah, let someone else deal um, with it. So another chart. So let's move past yeah, the grocery because um, I think we're both really interested in this. Uh, we, we, asked, um, we asked people where they feel most like themselves, whether it's online or offline. And – um, I'm going to try to uh, slickly pull up the, the the numbers here, but it was a dramatic difference in generations, and um, and I thought it was pretty remarkable, and I think, let me just get the exact um, number here, but basically, uh, almost half of Gen Z, which is it's a generation... They're like ages something like ten to twenty right now, or something like that. I, I don't have it in front of me, but um, almost half of them feel more like them, most like themselves online, and the split is like forty five percent online and forty percent offline. And this is again the question is, where do you feel most like yourself? Millennials forty three percent online, forty four percent offline. So basically, half half split. These are the generations that grew up online, the digital natives, the ones who had the internet when they were in high school and college, um, or even earlier. Well, for Gen Z, they had it their whole life. Um, Gen X, totally different. 62% feel most like themselves offline, only 22% online. And then the baby boomers, 75% offline, 7% online. The reason those don't add up to 100, there's also people could say... Like, I don't know. or I don't understand I don't, what this means. I don't understand the question. But <laughs> it's pretty wild. To Basically, the, the generational difference between where people feel most like themselves, online versus offline, is pretty stark. We also asked a couple other versions of that question, um, where people meet their closest friends online and offline. Most people still meet their closest friends offline. But if you look at Gen Z, it's only two-thirds offline, one-third online, as opposed to... Uh, like a 
Gen X, which is 80% offline, 20% online. And then we also ask people if they consider themselves a gamer, not really providing a specific definition of that. And two-thirds of Gen Z <laughs> said, yes, I'm a gamer, whereas two-thirds of Gen X says, no, I'm not a gamer. I mean, I just so, – I can't – that one just cracks me up. It's very funny. So because the reason what we, does that even mean? Well, we, I, I bring this up, and the reason we asked that specific question is – all these tech companies, especially Facebook, which has renamed itself Meta, which is... Ugh, still, I don't want to talk gonna, about the Metaverse. We're going to be calling it Facebook. We're going to talk about the Metaverse Ugh, for a minute. No. All these companies are, are pitching themselves as Metaverse companies now, which is basically like virtual worlds, VR, AR, like all this stuff. And to an aging millennial like myself, I don't have much interest in that. But I totally get why someone who spent who grew up online, who... Feels most, and by the way, I probably feel most well, like myself online versus offline. But I don't know; it's probably half half. Well, for me. here here's the thing that we got kind of philosophical talking about this the other day because I was like, "Well, is Zoom the metaverse?" Because you're like living, and you said no, but I said, "But people have these fake backgrounds on their Zoom accounts. So what does that mean? It's you all might like Zoom in the metaverse. Okay, fine. But the metaverse but, is bigger than Zoom. It's so the, is it like Zoom the is Sims? a world and the metaverse is the universe. Okay, fine. The I, Sims might also be a world. Okay. But then there's this idea that like through through <laughs> NFTs your 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 possessions are okay. portable. So you can take let's, your Okay, your, let's not talk about handbag. it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> anyway, I thought this the, was interesting. But the the thing that is interesting to me that you just said is like you may feel like your most self online. You definitely do. Because what we talked about was our relationship, and not to make this a couples podcast, but our relationship developed online. Like we online in person. It, yeah, we were in person. We met and we worked together, but we sat across from each other, catty corner from yeah. from each other or kitty corner. And but we were on AOL Instant Messenger, AIM right. all day. Yeah. And so that is when, like, I remember you telling me you thought I was a cool person. And I was like, mm. still not into you <laughs> romantically. I was so but good on like, IM. I really you miss are, IM. You are really good online. Not, you're great offline, obviously. Thank you. Thank you. After 15 years, knowing you for 17 years, being your partner for 15 years, I can say that you're great offline. But... You were really good online. And I will say I have relationships with people, not people that I've just met online, but people who like I am better on text or just DMing with them or whatever. And then when we hang out in person, I don't like them as much. And I have the opposite. Uh, Yeah, true. Where there are people who annoy me so much on text and and DM and everything, and I hate them. And then I see them in person. And I'm like, oh yeah, I love you. You're my friend. Yeah. But they're but the idea that people feel the most themselves online, I think that that's totally reasonable. And there are things that I don't know. I think I'm pretty pretty much the same on like Twitter versus my normal self. But then yeah. you put me in a party with more than like seven people, and I can't talk. Yeah. I'm so uncomfortable, especially like if it's a lot of people I don't know. Mm, like yeah. that's why I hate going to parties with you because you'll just like walk around and talk to people, and I, oh yeah, I am like I will only talk to people I know. It's but, very but see, odd. that's the metaverse. You're just walking around, yeah, exploring okay, I don't the talk world. About it anymore. But the point being that, like, I think it's totally reasonable that people our age and younger, we're both 39, yeah, maybe 42 and younger or something. If you're gonna say. 
1980 is still millennial, which I definitely as much as cool as Gen Z is. I don't or I, I know I am a millennial. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I think that one was interesting. Loved it. The other one that I thought was really interesting was the gym one. Oh, which yeah. Which is just like, to me, it kind of sound like, sounded like gyms are fucked. Because I, I've actually, for the first time in this whole time, have started to go. When we were in New York, I went to one-on-one, two one-on-one sessions in like boutique fitness things and then I've gone to two yoga classes since we've gotten back here like obviously they require um, vaccination I've worn worn my mask and all that stuff but like have not did not feel comfortable but the thing is like I don't want to do yoga by myself I want to do yoga in a class with an instructor yeah and that but before that and I've all I've been a runner for almost 10 years now so Running is my main form of exercise, but like the other, I used to go to, you know, two or three classes a week probably. And now it's like, I think when stuff gets more normal, it'll be one every two weeks just because I won't have time. And I'll, I'll do the Apple. I've been using the Apple fitness classes with my Apple watch and it's actually really great because you can, a lot, a lot of data. Yeah. Um, but I just. It sounds like to me they're pretty fucked. I don't know what you think. I mean, so I'm looking right now. Foot traffic is only down like 20-some percent from before. But um, but we also asked people where they expect to spend most of their fitness routine looking forward. And like almost everybody said at least 50% at home. Um, only 5% of people are 100% in gym. What do you think? Forty-one percent were one hundred percent in home, and then like another thirty percent, seventy-five percent at home. The 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 question I'm wondering is like, and some of that actually ties into my other favorite chart, which is not even a chart; it's just a stat. We ask people again: Do you believe you have the right, or you should have the right, to work remotely? Not just the privilege, not just the freedom, not just if your boss is nice, but should people have the right to work remotely? If the nature of their job permits it and if technology permits it. And we asked people that over the summer and we asked them that again. And the number actually increased and is now 88%. So almost 90% of people believe they should have the right to work remotely. And if you look at everything from the design of cities and retail and where stores should be and where restaurants should be to this idea of the gym, what is the gym? The gym is no longer something next to your office building or in your work neighborhood. What is the gym? Some For a lot of people, the gym is at home now because they bought a Peloton or they bought – like we didn't buy a treadmill. But all this stuff's we interrelated. Did, we did buy a treadmill. Oh, we did buy we a bought one of those walkable – We bought the cheapest treadmill on Amazon. Was, and it didn't work. It didn't was really like work. one of those ones that's not electric and I was like, I, I just need that. this to get my 10,000 steps in. Yeah. Thankfully, I mean – we were only it was only super cold and rainy for like one month in New York while we were totally, still there. Yeah. But I couldn't use it because it was so laborious to walk on this treadmill because it was one of those like non yeah, it was hundred forty bucks. It was, was it that much? Oh wow. I mean that's not that much though. I know, but it's still like I'm glad we didn't buy a nice one. Because no. we moved we would have to move that across yeah. the country. Where would we have put it here? Nowhere. 
No. Where getting 10,000 steps outside here, unless the air quality is terrible, is pretty easy. But so one of the um, questions about gyms, like, you, like yes, you're right. Gyms are probably screwed. Like, uh, and it, I haven't sliced and diced it. Like, are cheaper gyms doing better than Equinox? Is Equinox doing better? But what does the membership look like? Are you joining a gym that's also a social club are you joining a co-working space that has some gym equipment is there a gym membership that you can use at a place but also have a digital device at home Yeah, that's a good point like should peloton we've talked about this a couple weeks ago should peloton have gyms that you can go use outside of your house when you don't want to work out at home well you know what's funny bringing all this up the private co-working space we work the wing whatever yeah that feels really desirable to me right now. Yeah, but you see the article? It's like, uh, we went to the wing and it's all dudes now. Oh, my God, really? I think I saw the headline. That's week. amazing. Yeah. I, I don't think I was a no, I, I was that. a member of the wing. Give me something like that in our I'm neighborhood. I'm glad to be a one. part of history, but I will yeah. not be rejoining. Were you a founding member of the I wing? I was a founding member. Incredible. I mean, how could you, you say no? you still pay them? No, I st- I, oh, they okay. stopped. They really tried to get me back, but I was like... I can't deal with the decor. Is there even a wing near us here? <laughs> There's one in West Hollywood. I would oh, never use it. That's, that's the problem. But the thing is, I would like a place to be able to work out and work from a Same. bit. Um, and so I think that that it, it, the question, of course, is yes, there is a demand. Whether or not they can make the business model work is yeah. this is this is a thing coming out of all of this that I think is going to be a recurring theme. It's like, yes, there is a demand for all this crap that we were doing pre COVID that was really fun and convenient. But a lot of those things never had figured out a, a profitable business model. So how do you make it? And that's you just mentioning the gym thing. I don't really want a treadmill, a place to go on a treadmill, especially not living out here, mm. but I would love a place where I could do like strength training with a personal trainer once a week and then also be able to sit and have coffee and do meetings and all of that stuff. Yeah. So I, I think, hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Maybe we found our new entrepreneurial venture. Anyway, <laughs> um, what do you think's going to happen with Peloton generally? I mean, do you think that the thing that happened last week was good for them? Oh, the, and, and just like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, basically like they were – they crushed it during the pandemic. They yeah. they sold out of everything essentially. And then they hit a point earlier this year where they could no longer predict demand because all of a sudden they had supp- enough supply to meet demand. And then all yeah. of a sudden they had too much supply and they had too many – too many uh, – maybe too many stores that uh, – um, don't you think a company like that, regardless of the sex in the city thing, yeah. regardless of I it... I don't think that matters long term. Yeah, but. regardless of it not being like fully locked down at the moment. Don't you think a company like that should be trying to think about what the next thing is going to be and doing a bunch of different tests on new kinds of products? Because yeah. these things, to me, I don't want to be reductive, but it comes back to... um. What was the wooden, the Nordic, Nordic, Nordic track? track. Yeah. Like it's all that kind of stuff. It's the same thing. Even you can put, yes, it's more addictive now because there's a screen and there are personalities and they engage you and maybe people are more engaged for a longer period of time. But at some point people are going to be like, 
I personally just fucking hate psych cycling generally. Yeah. But also don't like the treadmill. Like it's just not, neither of those things are right for me. And eventually you just stop doing the workout and you move on to a different workout. So shouldn't they be like testing a bunch of different new kinds of products as like they have some sort of weight system coming out next year which well, is that's also really interesting much less expensive than the bike mm-hmm. like, i think the bike is what two thousand dollars and the weight system's 500 or something okay um and they've said like we want to be the one subscription for home fitness yeah so they don't they have not talked at all and they don't seem at all interested in being a service that you would go to as much as and they had like classes in their studios back then. I don't know. Some so much of this not to throw another slide on all of you, so much of this just comes down to the fact that every no one knows what's gonna happen with COVID now, especially yeah. now we have a new variant. Like the it's something like two thirds of people still think that COVID is gonna disrupt their life for six months or more. And that number had started to go down and then with Delta yeah. it just popped back up. And now it's starting to go down again, but you know, next month it's going to pop back up with this new variant. So it's really hard to build a long-term plan of like, okay, we're going to open up a hundred studios in a hundred in fifty cities because are you going to want to go to a class in in a week, let alone yeah. a month? Who knows? We don't really know, and well, it's hard to build. You do have to place a bet at some point, but yeah, you're right. Like, if you haven't bought a Peloton by now, why would you buy one? You're not going to just discover you like cycling. You're not going to be locked down the way that you were in April of 2020. Um, yeah, you may have more money than you did before. They might have a special or they might make it cheaper or they might make it something about it more attractive. And by the way, they still think that the treadmill is going to be much bigger for them than the bike. But I'm very skeptical of that. So I don't know. I, I, I think- really hate I really hate cycling. I can't believe how many soul cycle classes I went to. And I never liked soul cycle. I just went because I needed to work out. Well, so that's the other thing is like a lot of these things, like we make fun of the fact that my Nordic track became a towel rack in my house growing up, but like not everything has a lifetime, uh, existence of, of infinity. Like some stuff you buy and you use it for a few years and then you move on. Yeah. And that's fine. But I just think as a business, shouldn't they be thinking about that cycle? Yeah, and trying. Okay, but I don't know if they're doing it fast enough. And you know, does their brand matter? Are there is there are they a hundred times better at digital fitness coaching and classes than anyone else? I think you just answered it. Apple showed up from nowhere with a pretty good course library, and their app integrates your Apple Watch data on the screen in real time. Something that Peloton probably could not have actually technically accomplished. So uh, what is the moat? We don't know. Um, Anyway, I've just talked a lot about slides that I haven't told you where you can get them. So what you should do now is open your Safari and go to newconsumer.com slash trends, and you'll see the latest report. And I may even update this one with more slides, but this is the 2022 Consumer Trends Report. It's free. All you have to do is sign up for a free account. If you would like to become a member... That would really improve my life, so I'd appreciate it if you do that. Uh, members also get deep dives on these topics, and um, you know, and basically cover the cost of my professional existence. So I can only do this because there are so many members who are who have already joined. But anyway, newconsumer.com/trends. Check it out. Send feedback. Um, if you uh, work at a company and you want me to present this to your team. Send me an email. We can talk about that. 
Uh, I, I do some of those and thanks for checking it out. And thank Lauren, thank you for discussing it with me and thanks for tweeting it earlier. Yeah, of course. It. No, I was, I'm always impressed by you, but very impressed by this one. And there are other slides I want to go into, but I don't, I think we should go into them in another. Yeah. I don't want to go. We no more, no yeah, more slides. This is 45 minutes. Into but, the slides. So let's talk more slides. Maybe next time. Okay. I want to talk about the millennial feeling feels, but oh, yeah. but let's not talk about okay. that now. I want to talk about two other things. Great. One thing is last year I think we did a gift guide to gift a guide to gift guides. Some year we did. Some year. I really wish someone would do this online. I just tweeted this. If I had time, which I don't, because even though I'm technically on vacation right now, I don't really have childcare, so I am full-time mommy at the moment and next week you're going to be full-time daddy and we don't I don't really have time for this also it would never be as comprehensive as I would want but someone should do that but there are a lot of really good gift guides this year I highly recommend the Caitlin Phillips gift guide if you've only heard about it and you haven't looked at it it's actually really really good and great you should look it's it's excellent um but I'm just curious if you off duty Wall Street Journal, they always do really good gift guide. I happen to really like all the people who run that that section and think they have good taste, but also think that they genuinely work really hard on it and I get ideas from it. But are there any have you looked at any oh. And then the other gift guide I wanted to discuss was it's kind of along the lines of what we were talking about a couple weeks ago where like a brand takes over a magazine and it's really obvious like the carolina herrera interview takeover whatever and it's like completely commercial but because it's all out there it, it's actually really good because you just take it for what it is and you're not hiding the fact that trying to sell, sell shit i generally think that like brand gift guides are shitty because they're just like not inventive there's a couple exceptions to that i think that the cat beauty ceo or whatever she is the founder who who runs it i think that i do get some ideas from her sometimes it feels too promo-y and sometimes i'm just like this is obviously your friend it doesn't feel authentic totally but i think a lot of it is good um and then the other one that i like is block shop I don't know if they actually do a gift guide, but they do like a weekly link roundup that I think is good and always get good ideas from. But there was a new brand that has done gift guides on their site, and I they're the best gift guides that I've seen this year. What is I mean, it? other than the Caitlin Phillips gift guide. So this brand, Addersea, which was started by Isabella Wilkinson, who is an editor for a while. I, I actually wrote some pieces for her, but she's like a fashion editor. She worked at T, she worked at the cut and she started this line of like very fancy caftans, like cashmere caftans and things like hmm. that. Um, but she has, I mean, she has really good taste that is aligned with my taste. So it, that's part of it. But she has published these gift guides one and they all have it. One, she did one. I think this woman's name is her, it's is it something Chan care of Chan? She's a food like publicist. Um, let me just see. I, I don't want to misspeak with her n first name. I think it's 
what is her first name? Sue Chan. Um, she's like a cool girl, but is in the food world and knows all the, like the cool food people. And she did a gift guide for Addersea and then to Daphne Yavich, who's like my, my like fashion icon, even though I hate using that word, but I, everything she wears, I love. She just has really great taste and has been around and she does, has like a, um, like she's like a nutritional coach or something now, but she's very cool. She did one and then some other, and some like a very cool artist did one who is actually has an exhibit in LA right now. Hmm. Forget her name. But um, anyway, the point being that these gift guides are amazing and they all have like one thing from Addersea, but Isabella's in particular, she did these like gorgeous Mary Janes that I had seen around, but was like, uh, do I like now I want a pair very badly. She had this gift hamper, Christmas hamper from this place in Paris. I tried to order it for people. And of course they don't ship to the U S so I was very annoyed. But the point being that like, Sometimes those brand ones, if the person who runs the brand has good taste, they can actually be really fun and enjoyable. And I really love gift guides, but I do wish there was a a central place where I could just find all the gift guides. Yeah. Because I don't even know which gift guides. And yes, I can look at the, the media companies that I like, but I I want someone to make this. So that Great. that is – have you seen any gift guides you've liked? I have not looked and at a single Claire gift guide this year. Guides. I have not looked at a single them. gift guide. I think Claire and Erica – I have Erica, purchased one gift for one person. I think Claire and Erica – that's you. Yeah, I think Claire and Erica do a really good job because their stuff isn't crazy expensive. Yeah, they are – I would go to them first. Yeah, I mean but, you already go to them directly for gift ideas <laughs> because I usually maybe. just send – Claire, the gifts I want and say when oh. Fromer asks you, just tell him this. All right, cool. Um, I have not looked – I have not been shopping this year for any gifts. But, yeah, I think the gift guide to gift guides is a must must have. It's a really good idea. Yeah. I, I know Rex our, – our friend Rex Sorgatz does the year-end list roundup or used to do that. I don't know if there are many of those lists anymore. I think that genre has kind of yeah, it's exceeded done. its utility. Yeah, uh, I saw actually I saw one today well, or yesterday. I was like, oh, a year end list. I haven't seen those in a while. Oh, the best of the best of. I thought you meant yeah. like Forbes thirty under thirty. No, no, those are still happening. This is like the the things that mattered this year. Blah 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 blah. Oh yeah, like the ten best I, books of the year. Oh, I would the, like to read his. I've never read his. I don't know if he still does it, but it's he a used good to idea. used to aggregate them. But you have to like read everything and really take a lot of time on it. Yeah. To make that good, but there is someone who has enough time to do this. It might be like someone it. who who listens to this podcast, perhaps on the Needle in the Mouse subreddit. Yeah, which hopefully does, no, not, does exist. not exist. Anyway, okay, we have one minute to talk about our last topic. No, you you're the one who wanted to talk about this. We're gonna have to I go know. over a little bit. I have to you take Ralph to the I know, vet. I know, but we're gonna have to go over time. You're always late anyway, and they call me, so it's fine. Um, Maybe we'll drive. So you brought this weird thing up the other day, and I don't know why we were talking about Home Alone. Maybe it was either. because we were listening to the Home think, Alone soundtrack, yeah, which I like it. to do. Yeah. But you, what did you say about Home Alone? I thought it was like a very new consumer thing, and it got me thinking about a lot of stuff. Home Alone was my 
one of my first introductions to like class and oh that's funny the music is playing because i'm using an old um <laughs> how do i get that to stop i'm using an old garage band file and oh geez. can you make it less loud well i'm trying oh my god oh my god <laughs> we'll edit this out I mean, you don't have to edit that out. I think it's funny. It is pretty funny. I was saying Home Alone was one of my first introductions as a child to this idea of, of like the concept of class because I grew up in like the city in a very diverse neighborhood. I went to public schools. Like it was just not really something that we dealt with much. And then all of a sudden Home Alone comes out when I'm, I don't know how many years old am I, five, six years old. Probably don't get to watch it till then. Not really a topic that six-year-olds no, are yeah, talking Yeah, it came about. out in 1990, so we were six. Okay. And all of a sudden, here's this family in the suburbs who has a lot more rooms in their house than I did, who are taking the, the fancy Airport Express van, which I now look at it, I'm like, that's not fancy at all, but it seemed fancy at the time. Like, who gets a chauffeur to the airport? I, I had only been to the airport once or twice at that point in my life, and I think my uncle took us. Yeah, so, I definitely had not been to the airport by yeah. six years old. Or we would have taken the, the subway or the you know the train. Um, yeah. And so and and here's this rich family from the suburbs, a suburb of Chicago where I was growing up in the city, and you know many rooms in this house, many more more floors in their house than I had. And I did not have a usable attic. Um, was it Home Alone 1 or 2 where he had that crazy recording device? I think it was 1, right? I don't know. It might have been 2. I don't know. don't remember. But that was like a gadget that I immediately lusted after. And and his parents are flying first class, which we obviously didn't yeah. do either. So, yeah. And they were just like fancy rich people. Or yeah, and also it's like Chicago. It's also very particular to you because you grew up in Chicago. Yeah. And you know you knew like where they were, right? Yeah. And you had like a sense. Will Matter, Winnetka or something. Yeah. Like that. Which is funny because every time we meet someone from Chicago, yeah, we, now <laughs> I'm like this too. You're like, you say, Oh, I'm from Rogers park. And they say, Oh, I'm actually not from Chicago. I'm from right. a fancy suburb, Heights which is the same thing. Mount if Prospect. I meet someone from Pittsburgh who doesn't live in Pittsburgh, they definitely are from Fox chapel or Slickly or whatever, like other than me. Yeah. So I get it. I it's really interesting because I feel like I watched a lot of movies when I was young that were I'm trying to think of like what rich people movies came I I definitely this was not the place that I learned about rich people because I was watching yeah. a lot of movies that were inappropriate for a 5-year-old to watch you know or 6-year-old or whatever. And so for Lucky me, you. I'm the, I yeah, was too, it, but it they was were like gr- it's great. which doesn't really help. Um, but I think there is like a very particular kind of it's like a spillover from the preppy handbook. And I have always been obsessed with the clothes in that movie because they and all. And the thing is, I looked up John Hughes. Yeah, I don't think he directed it. He just wrote it. And I looked up John Hughes and to see what he directed. And he was obsessed with class. So that makes a lot of sense. Like, have you seen other John Hughes movies? I'm sure I have, but I couldn't name them. Like Pretty in Pink and The Breakfast no. Club and all that. Okay. Yes. Anyway, 
Those he all, he directed. Together. I'm sure you were paying a lot of attention. I was. To. But I those liked it. he directed, and I looked, and like he didn't work with the same co- the same guy did the costumes for this movie and Home Alone two, but he wasn't involved with John Hughes, and John Hughes he did work with the same costume designer in all the movies he directed in the eighties. And those like dealt like directly with class and there'd be like really preppy kids and then not preppy kids. A lot of them were very class specific, but the thing about the home alone and with all of his movies was like the hair in particular, even in the eighties and going in the nineties when like really big hair was popular he always had the he must have been obsessive about like what the actors were like their hair and makeup and their mm. clothing because like there were particular people like i looked up national lampoons i was convinced christmas vacation in particular he wrote all three of those movies but i was convinced that that christmas vacation and home alone would have had the same costume designer and they didn't mm. and i don't think he directed either of them but he wrote them both but like there's something about like the only people who had like the really big scary 80s hair were like the white trash cousins or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. Like And that was like directly about class. Whereas- but, but even looking at and there's a really good piece I googled this right before we started written by Amelia Di- Diamond friend of the podcast. I don't think she's ever listened to it, but I really like her as a person for man repeller in like 2015 about Kevin's wardrobe and, and just like oh, the nice. costumes in home alone generally and how good they were. And if you look at like Catherine O'Hara's hair and her jewelry and like, it was, you're right. It was very much about like upper middle class. I would say not maybe, Maybe upper class, but to me it felt upper middle class, and maybe yeah. that's because it wasn't in New York City and they weren't working on Wall Street, right? But yeah, yeah we and, don't know. I don't know what his dad did, but it seemed like he, yeah, you know, maybe he was like an accountant or something. Well, like, like a CEO of a small company could be, yeah, like that kind of thing. That's yeah, the yeah. feeling I got from it, like that they were not poor, but that they weren't like they weren't on a private jet. <laughs> True, <laughs> which right. I've just been writing but about like, rich people for too long. I had zero exposure to that type of wealth in Chicago and the city. But Yeah, I mean, neither did I. But right. like, also, I think I watched a lot of stuff when I was younger that you didn't because Definitely. of... Yeah. yeah, I was watching Mr. Rogers. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll rewatch it again. And then we'll, we'll talk... We'll it do was, Apex Mountain. Really... We'll do the categories <laughs> next time. You're very just silly. Zing. Zing. Um, but yeah, I think that... There's a lot of stuff in there about how people like it was a movie that made you want to go shopping and decorate your house and stuff. Wow. Don't you agree? I need to watch it again. I don't remember. And also, I think he goes shopping in the one. I mean, they stayed at the Plaza Hotel. He goes grocery shopping. It's amazing. Yeah. Like it's about consumption. It's about like too much stuff. Kevin McAllister didn't need Instacart. No, (laughs) You know what? Him like walking with those bags in the street is amazing. It also just reminds me of like our life in New York. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, is, and those kinds of experiences. Or where was I wa- 40, walking? Four hundred pounds of of Trader Joe's bags on the subway. Yeah, like yesterday, I was walking down Glendale, and my my shoes were all dirty, and I had on a puffer covered with a trench coat, and I was like, people just must think I'm one of those crazy people walking down. The street with my grocery cart but hell yeah 
All right, I do have to go and take the dog for his baby shot. Happy holidays. We're not going to do this before Christmas, are we? Let's not. And let's say we won't. And then if we do, it'll be an extra gift. Okay. How's that sound? That sounds great. Thank you all for listening so much. Um, We appreciate it. Yeah, shout out to Molly, who apparently listened, my friend. Oh, and shout out. Shout out to our reader who DM'd me on Instagram about on running to tip me off that they are also huge in San Diego. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, someday we'll go there and check it out. Uh, Yeah. Thank you all for listening again. We will strive to continue to make this a more regular occurrence next year. Um, You can check out the Consumer Trends deck again at newconsumer.com slash trends. If you want to send us an email for a comment, complaint, topic, suggestion, whatever, we're at hello at theneedleandthemouse.com. We're also on Twitter at Needle and Mouse. Uh, you can also find us there individually. Um, That's more interesting, I would say. Cool. Well, then definitely bother Lauren. Um, Please do. Thank you, as always, to Alan Lawrence for our, we love our you, lovely Alan. theme music. We miss you, Alan. Alan is in Japan, where I have not been able to visit now for almost two years, which actually more than two years. So Very sad. I'm sad. But hopefully someday again. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Bye.